If you want even more of a challenge, go back and read the remaining nine verses of this passage. I thought I would do myself a favor, and maybe you one as well, by only trying to light on these first two verses. We'll save another time for considering turning one's cheek and giving one's coat and cloak and all the other things that are a part of this challenging passage. But we're confronted here with two things. We're confronted with the reality that indeed there are, we even hate to say it, there are enemies in the world. But then we're also confronted with our response to those enemies, and that is indeed the power of love. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. This is difficult stuff. But we can be thankful that in the Greek, as we read in the New Testament, there are several words that speak to the concept of love. Eros, sensual love, erotic love, Philia and Storge, which are more of a familial, a love that, that represents the, the bonds of, of, of family and friendship. And then there's agape. And we better be thankful this morning for the concept of agape because that helps us a lot to understand the kind of love that we're called to give and the kind of love we're called to, to circulate in even in this context. Because agape is, is transcendent of some of the things that those other types of love might require. Agape love doesn't look for anything in return. And agape love is not even attached to sentimentality. That's helpful because I'm convinced that a lot of times it is easier to love a whole lot of people than to like them. And sometimes I need to understand that as the world swirls around me that I'm not always called to like, but I am called to love. And we're called to love here. We talk about, you just heard Jackie talk about revolutionary love. And we understand the power of love in as much as it has an effect on what we are as a community and how we as a community affect the world. We can always link our love with justice, but we must always link our justice with love. We need to understand that to go out here and, and to do justice in the world solely by way of doing justice without the dimension of love can make us cold and unapproachable. So love and justice really ought to always be in tandem. And I didn't think of that concept originally. In fact, Martin Luther King in his sermon, Where Do We Go From Here, his book, Where Do We Go From Here, one of the sermons included says this, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. So we need to understand that if love and justice are linked, 
then this idea of loving our enemies and, and indeed doing good to those who hate us and blessing those who curse us and praying for those who abuse us is not a sign of weakness at all. But it speaks to the strength of the love that we stand in and the strength of how that love allows us to confront the hate that's in the world. I'm not going to try to be a psychologist or psychiatrist from the pulpit this morning, but I'm amazed that some people who think that they stand in a position of strength feel that the only way to to, to exhibit that strength is to demean and to debase other people. Isn't it curious that somebody who has the official title commander-in-chief could be so insecure and so timid of nature and character that the only way they seem to be able to exude what they think is a measure of strength is to try to diminish and dehumanize other people. You know what that tells me? You you don't have to be that old and you don't have to be that educated to realize that if somebody thinks that they are exhibiting strength by tearing someone else down, what they're really doing is trying their best to bring someone else down to that place where they really think that they exist. So, So contrary to being irate, well, no, I can't tell that untruth. It does make me irate. But along with being irate... I watch and I marvel. And yes, yes, dare I say it, somewhere even a a small measure of sympathy takes shape because I think to myself, what got messed up along the way? What got misaligned along the way that that this person with seemingly the the world in front of them would operate in such a limited and and, and tortured way? And, And that's just one example. We just happen to see him all the time on, 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 on the television, but, but there are others in the world who, who represent that same kind of dynamic, some who, whose lives are much closer to us. But the mandate is the same, to come into that circumstance with the power of love, to respond to what we see around us with the power of love. And that's not docile, that's not weak, that's not timid on our part. In fact, it shows a measure of strength. So don't ever let anyone tell you that this idea of love that comes especially out of the context of this Christian faith is something that shows weakness. No, it speaks to strength beyond human measure. Martin King goes on to say this, to return evil for evil only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. And somewhere along the way of life, somebody must have sense enough, somebody must have morality enough, somebody must have religion enough to cut off the chain of hate and evil. And this can only be done by meeting hate with love. For you see, in a real sense, if we return hate for hate, violence for violence, and all of that, It just ends up destroying everybody, and nobody wins in the long run. And it is this, and it is the strong person who stands up in the midst of violence and refuses to return it. It is the strong person, not the weak person, who stands up in the midst of hate 
and returns love. In 1 Corinthians 13, the sixth verse reminds us it does not, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. So this love that we're talking about, this is not simply contemplative. This isn't just something that we can sit around and feel good about. This calls us to action. This calls us to engagement. This calls us to being truth tellers and truth livers in a world where it is essential to live out that truth. Tough love is active love. Truly loving someone means that you are speaking truth into their lives with love. And this means having the tough and awkward conversations in order to grow and develop ourselves and that other person. If we practice this type of love, we keep ourselves and others accountable. So when we're called to love our enemies, we're called to call them to accountability, not that they will respond pleasantly, but we know that we are doing what we're called to do when we call them to truth and even to justice. This love is hard stuff. It's hard to embody, and it leads us to some difficult places. And this faith that we abide by never has promised not to lead us into those difficult places never has promised to, to cause us to skirt away from those places where there is tension, where there's inequity, where there's injustice. But we're called to those places with the power of this transformative love. Yeah, tough love. But there's something else about tough love that, that I think is important for us to understand. Not only does it come alongside justice and not only does it compel us to truth-telling, but in that justice and in that truth-telling, tough love disrupts. It pushes against, it works against systems of hatred, fear, and oppression. Now, you know, in the, in the business world now, the word disruption has taken on a whole new, 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 new sense about it and in a whole new meaning. But, but I dare say that in this concept of love that we're talking about, it's all right also to understand the power of disruption in the love that we convey. Because as we confront injustice, as we confront inequality, as we confront hatred, Something's got to change. And I was looking for a suitable illustration, and I came upon the example of fermentation of all things. Think about it. Take an absolutely serviceable jug of grape juice, and you put in it some agent of fermentation, whatever it might be, some yeast or whatever microbes. And over the course of time, the chemical breakdown of, of, of the carbohydrates in that grape juice uh, cause uh, the, the microorganisms to, to move and transform and, and, it, and it involves effervescence and the giving off of heat. And after a while, you got a good jug of wine. Now, Jesus kind of accelerated this thing at the wedding of Cana, but the point still stands. The result is, I think, one that most of us would not be disturbed by. But the process is disruptive. 
I'm sure that if you took a microscope and, and watched the action of fermentation going on, it would not look pleasant. It would not look as if those things were tranquil. So my point is that sometimes that is the kind of disruption that we've got to bring to those places of pain and hurt and hatred in the world. But that disruption is not for the sake of destroying. That disruption is for the sake of transforming into that which represents the realm of God in the world. You can't sit idly by while the world burns and thinks somehow that your love, the potency of your love, is not called to this moment and called to this place. So thank God that agape love is beyond sentiment or even affection. And I trust God because I know that that kind of love, yes, leads me to difficult places. Look at Jesus, the embodiment of this love. And look where it led him to a place, yes, that appeared to be a place of suffering and indeed defeat, a place where it appears that empire won. But I would encourage you to look just a little bit longer and understand that the ultimate lesson in the love that we see embodied in him is not one of defeat in a moment of empire's victory but one where love endures and overcomes. So I think that speaks to, again, the final reflection that King had in that amazing sermon when he says, now there's a final reason that I think Jesus says love your enemies, and it's this, that love has within it a redemptive power and there's a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem them and transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now. You know, you're saying, listen, Rev, you're a nice enough guy. And we appreciate you spending time with us, but... I'm not so sure about that kind of transformation in every circumstance and in every situation. And I'm not either. But you know what? You know what I'm called to do? I'm not called to be accountable, accountable for the transformation that takes place upon the one who sows hatred and discord. What I'm accountable for is to show love in any and every circumstance to show love in the face of that difficulty, to show love in the face of that hatred, and to not lose heart. For if we don't grow weary in well-doing, we will indeed reap. So I'm a believer in the enduring power of love. I'm a believer, yes, that love can transform. Maybe not in the scope of time that I'll witness, but nevertheless, I still trust that my love's not in vain, my sense of love for even those who hate and curse and abuse me is not a wasted measure. I think about so many stories that I heard growing up from my parents and relatives about growing up as black folk in the South, and they grew up in the, in the, quote, mild South. They grew up in, largely in Kentucky, not Mississippi, Jackie, where sure enough was rough. But even there, 
the challenges and the difficulties would make me think, how could you not just give over to hatred? How could you not just give over to retribution? But I was amazed as I listened to these stories that emanated from them about all the... Now, mind you now, they were not naive. They, they were not, 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 not complacent about these difficulties. Oh, no. But they had an understanding that that hate could not define them. That hate could not be what was the measure of their character. So if we love this way that we're called to love, the first thing that it does is it keeps us from being the victims of the hate that we love against. So many of the lives we celebrate this month and beyond simply would not stop showing love. And we're empowered by the love that they gave, the beauty of a Angelou who was born in the throes of a segregated South. We're nurtured to by today because she saw the creativity and power of love far more than she saw the value of reprisal. Nelson Mandela, as he walked out of prison after being in prison for decades, said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Hear the theology, if you will, of Fannie Lou Hamer. I feel sorry for anybody that would let hate wrap them up. Ain't no such thing as I can hate anybody and hope to see God's face. You may not know the name Sharon Washington Reicher, but Reicher's mother, Ethel Lee Lance, two cousins, and a cherished friend were among the nine people gunned down at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, back in 2015. And this is what Sharon Reicher has said. She said, forgiveness, my journey of moving toward total forgiveness has been hard, lonely, and complicated. So maybe that's good news for some of us that this is not easy stuff and it is okay if it is a difficult journey. No one is asking you to be able to love unconditionally, instantly, but we're called to be on the journey toward it because that's how we're able to be the fullness of this measure of community that God calls us to be. So, yes, love must be coupled with justice to truly be powerful in the world. Yes, love at its best is disruptive and it turns over the tables of those who would do that which is unjust. And yes, love is healing because I'm not going to let anybody else's hatred define who I am. I'm not going to let anybody else's oppression tell me that I can't stand against oppression. We sang a beautiful hymn a little earlier this morning that spoke of the love of God, and I think of another one that strikes a familiar chord in my mind and heart. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Oh, yes, there'll be haters, and haters are going to hate. Yes, 
This season that we're moving through right now, I dare say in some measure, shape, or form, probably maybe to a lesser degree, we hope and pray, but nevertheless, we'll be replaced by another season of challenge and difficulty and discord. There will be those indeed who we have to stand up against. There are going to be those who represent those things that we know are wrong in the world. And the way we respond to that is not by becoming bitter, but by using the power of love that we have, as outrageous as it sounds, as implausible as it is, there's a whole host of witnesses who can tell us, keep on loving, keep on striving for what's right. I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good, ouch, to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Because you know what I did? I cheated. I flipped to the end of the book and love wins.